Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. And an interesting question came in a number of times, but really like almost from left field, and we thought it appropriate to discuss, and that is tattoos, the Kabbalah of tattoos. As soon as you hear that title, the Kabbalah of tattoos, sounds a very strange mix. Tattoos? Is there a mystical significance to tattoos? I mean, what in the world can possibly connect Kabbalah and mystical ideas to a mere tattoo? Especially when you're familiar and consider the prohibition in the Bible, in the Torah, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 28, that you shall not tattoo yourself. So what is the connection between the two? That's what we'll be discussing. Now I know it sounds a bit like weird, so I want to just assure you that I'm not, well maybe I am over the wall, maybe I'm weird as it is, but I want to assure you that this topic is not coming from some type of crazy place. I'd like to begin actually with a story, a story that always remained with me since it happened, a very powerful event that happened in New York. Long Island. I traveled Long Island to a uh, city. I was there for a weekend a weekend uh, retreat, Shabbaton is called. And the Friday night evening meal, and then there's the day meal. So Friday evening after the services, we all sat down to the meal, and I saw one individual jumped out at me, stood out. He was tall and built, muscularly built. I saw he was definitely, clearly must have been either a soldier or someone coming from that world. And he was indeed from the Navy. I'll soon get to that. And he was being extremely helpful. He had a long red beard. He was just dressed like a chassid. And he was being extremely helpful, setting up. What else can I help you with? Inviting, welcoming guests, coming over to me, to everyone, what he can be. It caught my attention. And he kept coming over every few minutes, every, few, every, every little while, and he said to me, share something with me, a thought, an idea. And he was really sincere. And he was like really interesting, put together. So at some point in the meal, I asked the host, I said, who is this fellow? And he said to me, he's a hidden tzaddik, a tzaddik nister, a hidden, from the hidden righteous people. And he shares with me the following. He says, this man was in the Vietnam War, the Navy. He was in the Navy. And uh, though born Jewish, yet he completely was completely secular, was not exposed to anything. When he came out of the service and came back home, began searching, he went on a spiritual search, and he went from one place to another place. He said he finally ended up here. And he became an observant Jew, keeping Torah, mitzvah, Shabbos, and so on. And now dresses in the Hasidic garb. And he says, when he became uh, observant, he, had, he came to realize something which was really bothersome to him. In the Navy, he had his whole body tattooed. He was almost from head to toe tattooed. And many of those tattoos were not so easy to reverse. So some of them he was able to get rid of. And others he was not. There's one particular tattoo that irked him, which was on his left bicep. 
right here, where you put on tefillin. You wrap phylacteries on the left arm. And the tattoo wasn't exactly the Star of David. So he asked rabbis, what should he do? Every time he is putting on the tefillin, it's a mitzvah, where you're supposed to bind your mind and heart to God, he's reminded of something that's as, as antithetical to God as it gets. And he could not reverse this tattoo. So the rabbi told him, look, when you made the tattoos, you didn't know better. When you had the tattoo etched in your skin. When you put on the film, just close your eyes and don't think about it. Ignore it. You just put on the film, the film overrides it all. But then the, the host continues and tells me, whispering. He said, you know, this man wakes up every day, 4.30 in the morning. Not because he has an early job. Because he goes to the mikveh. The mikveh is the ritual waters. He doesn't want anyone to see him and see his body covered in tattoos. So he goes early, no one's there, and he goes into the water. And then the host nonchalantly whispers to me. He didn't even realize, perhaps, what he was saying. He says to me, what do you think God is thinking? What do you think God is thinking? When this man submerges in those ritual holy waters, and the waters cover over his skin with the tattoos. You know, I was literally taken by that. And I looked at him. A man with no ears, didn't even, wasn't even aware. I was literally in tears. I was completely awe, in awe of a, a person who considers himself so simply. He's coming to me to ask me to share some words. A man that has that type of sensitivity, that spiritual refinement, doesn't want anyone to see him. And what is God thinking? Yes, what is God thinking? He did, he did not do it deliberately. He had no idea that the tattoo was a problem. And I shared the story, I wrote the story down. As a matter of fact, I shared it at my son's bar mitzvah. Because my son's bar mitzvah, we had different people, different guests. And some of them were secular people who had never had a bar mitzvah. I actually asked one of them to say a few words. And I shared a few words, and I said, you know, I said to my son, you're putting on tefillin today. There are people who never knew what tefillin was. There are people who have their bodies tattooed, and they put on tefillin. There are people going to the mikveh. And tattoo, I said, was not just the physical tattoo. We all have our tattoos. We all have our wounds. We all have our scars. And this challenge is how we can transcend them and get to a place that's beyond. So though this is... I would say almost like the conclusion of tonight's discussion. But I wanted to begin with this story because this, this is really what drove me to want to speak about it. It wasn't the, the technical, you don't need me to come and give you a technical class on what it tattoos, the prohibitions. Though we'll discuss it, but I wanted to speak about this deeper dimension. Anyway, when I read the article about it, a few months later, I receive an email from an individual in Jerusalem. He says, he also went to a ritual bath. He had read my article. He went to a ritual bath. And he, had, he also had a tattoo on his left arm. I think on his, on his uh, lower, lower arm. And because he didn't want anyone to see, so he was wearing a towel. He put a towel over the, the tattoo, went into the mikveh, put the towel on the side, came back out right away back to the towel. There was somebody in the mikveh that sees him and saw that he's walking awkwardly, and he said, is everything all right? 
First, he thought he may be literally wounded, that he has some type of injury on his arm. He doesn't want anyone to see, or it's, or it's painful, or whatever it may be. So the fellow says, yeah, he says, I'll show you. And he, gives, and he says, I'm very embarrassed, but I have a tattoo. This old Jew in the mikveh, as they're walking out of the mikveh, unrolls his sleeve and shows him a number, a number that he was branded with in Auschwitz. He says, I also have my tattoo. We all have our tattoos, and God protects those with tattoos. Because much as my tattoo happened not at my will, yours also did not happen at will, because you didn't know better. And the tattoo is a mark, a mark that God puts you in a situation that is challenging, and it reminds God, here's, this, here's I'm marked, I'm branded. So though on one hand he has deliberately to make a tattoo, especially and when you know what it is, you're not supposed to do it, but once it was done to you against your will, or out of total ignorance, it becomes a mark that arouses a particular level of compassion. And he wrote this to me, he said to me, following up your story. So in the broader sense of the word, we all have our tattoos, we all have our wounds, we all have our scars. And I was thinking about it because when you read the verse, the verse obviously is talking the technical verse, and I'll read it in, as I said, in chapter 19, verse 28 in the book of Leviticus, the chapter is Kedoshim. And it's talking about different prohibitions. And... Um, and then it goes on and says like this. You shall not make cuts in your flesh for a person. And the commentaries speak about the cuts in flesh that some have a custom when someone died in the family, they would cut themselves. And then the second half, you shall not etch a tattoo on yourselves. I am God. The commentaries talk about what exactly this means. Because, for example, can you just put a cosmetic, you know, today they have just a rubber stamp. Is that considered a tattoo? But not according to this, not according to the, not definitely not the biblical prohibition. The biblical prohibition is etching it in with a needle and creating a, 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 permanent, um, a permanent tattoo. There's a discussion if it's not permanent and you can reverse it. But here, as I said, I'm not going into the legal matters. But it's interesting because the verse says, when it talks about you shall not make cuts, the expression is v'sadat l'nefesh, the Sarat Lenevish means a cut to the soul you shall not place in your flesh. So to the soul, some interpret it means for the passing of a soul. So for in other words, to do it as a, as a symbolic gesture or a sign of grief, cutting yourself due to the pain of the soul that has departed, that's what, that's what it refers to. But the Erechayim and other commentaries say no. Now, what is the real problem with making a cut in your body is because a cut in the body actually causes also a so-called etch in the soul. It's actually an expression from the Maggid of Mizrich, the, the, the student of the great founder of Hasidic thought, Hasidus Baal Shem Tov, Rabdov Ber of Mizrich, he says, a small hole in the body is a large hole in the soul. Now, what does that mean? We all know the soul is not bound to the body. It's bound to the body, but I mean to say, when a person dies after 120 years, the soul is not affected, it just leaves. So why would a bodily defacement or defilement or cut have an effect on the soul? 
The answer is because there's a very mysterious joining of body and soul that happens upon conception and emerges upon birth. Because even the human body, as the Bible puts it, was created in the divine image. So what does it say? It says God took earth from the ground, or from an Adama. He took dust from the earth, or earth from the ground, like, a, like, like raw clay, shaped it into a human being, and he infused it. He breathed into its nostrils a breath of life. Which is why soul in Hebrew, neshama, also is the meaning neshima, breath, breath and soul. How many disciplines use breath and soul interchangeably because the breath is the breath of the soul's life. It was breathed into this inanimate piece of clay and this becomes life. But it says specifically, we create, the creation of the human being is in the divine image. And it's very clear that it doesn't just mean that the soul is in the divine image, but also the body. Because if you say the soul, the soul firstly, every creature on earth has a, some form of spirit. But even if you argue that the spirit of man is different, of the human being is different because it has certain divine attributes, not just a divine creation, but in the most ostensible, in the most, on the most basic interpretation, it also refers to the entire being. So our bodies are also sacred, not just our souls. Our bodies are not just a vehicle and a channel for the soul to express itself. It too, as the Zohar puts, Kufa Dilehin condition, if the soul, the body too is sacred, which is why we treat a body with respect, not only in lifetime, but also in death. In the words of one of the great commentaries, he says, the reason you're not supposed to mutilate yourself and definitely not hurt yourself, definitely not kill yourself, is because your body is the property of God. It's a gift given to you. It's divine property. You, we didn't create it. It came with, upon conception, birth. Who does it belong to? It belongs to the divine, to God. So God's property, why, if someone gave you a gift on loan, to watch over, and you gave it back to them, defaced, defiled, cut up, tattooed, that would be a sign of deeper disrespect. You were given, give it back to me as good as you can. That's why it says, offer ata vel offer tashuv. You come from dust and you shall return to dust. Give back the gift as it was given to you. Which also explains why in Jewish thought, cremation is not acceptable. And the same thing is with self-defacement or self-mutilation, cutting oneself, including tattoos, because it's not your property. It's a gift. It's a gift for you to watch over. So first thing, it's a lesson that you don't own yourself. You don't own your life. And since you don't own it, preserve it. The sanctity of life. If you want to broaden it, it's not just the sanctity of your life, it's the sanctity of every life. So when you hurt another person in any way, besides the fact that we all understand that's not appropriate, you're also hurting divine property. When you affect, when you in some way defile or some way contaminate and taxify the environment, and we've spoken about this a number of times, that too is defilement, not because it's the, because we're destroying our own earth and it's going to affect our survival, climate change and so on, or global warming, without going into the whole discussion on the topic. But it's a sacred world. What right? As I've shared the story many times, 
Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok, the great Rebbe, the previous Chabad Rebbe, was once walking with his father when he was a young child, and his father, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dov Ber. They were walking in a garden, and, and as they were walking and speaking, the little child ripped off a leaf from the tree, from a tree, and began to rub it like people do. And his father reprimanded him and saying, you've just altered the trajectory of this leaf's life. Here it was growing on a tree peacefully. It had its purpose. And you, for no reason, just tore it off. What right do you have to take something that is so sacred for no reason at all? If you use it for a good thing, the leaf will thank you. He doesn't say that, but that's stated in other places. Even a leaf, even something inanimate, a mineral. When a wicked person walks on the street, the cobblestones cry out, we're told. What right do you have to walk on me? I never transgressed. You've been wicked. You've hurt people. So that's the attitude to every fiber of existence. And definitely to a human life and definitely to a human body. That all goes into that category. So it's not just you're not tell, you don't hurt someone else. Even yourself you don't hurt, because you don't belong to yourself either. So just in this simple mitzvah, pro- prohibition I should say, lies a tremendous lesson in life. We don't own our lives. It was given to us to protect, to preserve, to enhance, to use our bodies and souls to illuminate this world and make it a better place. So the mere fact that if somebody goes, whether it's out of pain or grief, or for beautification, or make a statement, or whatever it is, and tattoos, or pierces, or whatever it may be, that's defiling a gift, it's not yours, to touch. That which happens wear and tear in life, that's what happens that's not in our control, is not in our control. So the lesson is a far deeper one than just the tattoo aspect of it. It is about the property, who owns you, who, control, who owns your life. Now we like to believe, I own my life, I do whatever I want. No one can tell me what to do. That's not correct. Life is a gift and we should humbly always accept that. And this prohibition is one of the ways that remind us that even though there may be in a culture or a society that does tattoos or become popular, or, as I said, makes a statement or attracts people or repels people or whatever you want to say, your body as, as your soul is not your own. And that's why the verse says, uses the word nefesh, because it's not just doing it in your flesh. In some ways, you're also your nefesh is affected too. When your body is weaker, a small hole in the body, your soul also gets compromised in some way because they're two partners that have joined each other through our life's journey to travel together in a symbiotic way to the point there's a seamlessness between body and soul that when we're alive you where does the body end and the soul begin you can't tell it's so infused it's not like just air inside of a balloon where you can let the air out and here's the balloon it becomes infused that my very fingers my very body my legs my arms my organs every part of me every physical flesh is pulsating with the soul's energy. That's how one it becomes. So the effect of one, the, 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 the behavior of one affects the other. Both ways, the soul affecting the body and the body affecting the soul. Another reason given for the prohibition is because it was the, it was the uh, custom of pagans who in some way tattooed themselves to their particular idol, 
form of idol worship. That's also written. Now, what is the problem with that? In a way, it's, a, it's an extension of reason number one. What is idol worship? Not worshiping God, worshiping an idol that you have decided. Instead of creating, instead of us recognizing we are created in God's divine image, we create something and we say, and we say that the divi- instead of us being in the divine image, we make the divine in our image or in an image of something we consider to be a deity. The whole point of God is that it's not about you and not about your version of God, what you think works and what is on your terms. As Maimonides writes, that the sort of root of idolatry was finding a God they can relate to. Since God is invisible, let's find an, a, a star, a symbol. Then finally on earth, a tree, some other symbolic element saying this is God's instrument. And then they forgot about the one who's who the one who's who but owns the instrument and just began worshiping the instrument. So in a sense, it's again a form of self-worship. But not to copy and not to behave any way of idolatrous. But there you could argue what happens now today. Tattoos are done. You have tattoo salons, salons and other tattoo places, services. It's nothing to do necessarily with idolatry. So just to remember what it once was. That's why reason number one is so significant because even though we may not have overt idolatry, even though there is exist that as well today, but you have this, the symbolic idolatry, the worshiping of your body, or more importantly, thinking that it belongs to you. And that's what it comes to negate. So the concept of, of tattoos, as uh, bizarre as it sounds, actually is a great reminder of the sanctity of our lives. We don't need to add or subtract anything to make our lives more beautiful. So you can argue, what about cosmetics, putting on makeup, dressing up? So firstly, you're not tampering with the body itself. You're not piercing it. You're not transforming its very look, darkening the skin or cutting it open. Again, we're not talking about in the form of surgery, scars that come from surgery. Cosmetics is cosmetics come and go. Now, I know the question some will ask, what about piercing? Like we see, Torah-observant people wear earrings. So it's a good question. And the answer is because there are certain things that the beautification, the Torah itself says that beautification is fine. And the pleasure that comes from it overrides the pain, that, that, which is also you're not allowed to cause yourself pain. And it's discussed in books as well, why, why is that an exception? But the idea of tattoos, on the other hand, is creating imagery in your skin. When your skin was clear skin that God created, and this is creating a divine image, we, we shouldn't be tampering with that. Which is another interesting point when you read the exact verse. So it says piercing it. So let me just read the exact translation for you in English. Shall not make cuts, shall not etch a, etch a tattoo. So the commentary Rashi writes, let me give you the exact commentary. It says like this. He elaborates, actually, as do other commentaries. An inscription etched and sunken, never to be erased. For one etches it with a needle and it remains permanently black. Then he goes on to describe 
what that means to be sunken in. What is this permanently black? Because skin, for a white person, of course, is a certain illuminating element. Even black skin also has a certain beauty. As King Solomon says, I'm black, darkened, and beautiful. Dark skin also has a beauty to it. When you put man-made etches of imagery, whatever the imagery is, that's man-made. The natural skin of a human being is divine-made. We didn't create our own skin. And skin has a very interesting element. It's very, can be very smooth, has a certain beauty and elegance to it. So you're taking divine art and superimposing on it human art. You want to do human art, do it on a canvas. Why are you doing it on divine art? As I mentioned before, you're becoming a partner with God. Be humble and accept and, and, and celebrate your life. But I'm adding now even more the point of the darkening of your forever permanently darkening your skin with other images. And it's essentially suggesting that your art is greater than the divine art, or you don't really care that it's divine, you can do whatever you like. No. So when you think of it that way, you think of life in the same sense. We were given resources, and we were blessed with gifts in this world in order, in order for us to be able to enhance and refine the world. You were given raw resources, and you are told, make this world a better place. But don't defile and don't try to change and alter existence. Just improve it, enhance it. When we found wheat and discovered that wheat can be threshed and wheat can be turned into flour and flour can be turned into bread or coffee beans, when they're crushed and grinded, they turn into coffee. So we're taking natural elements and we may be mixing things with it to enhance it, but you're not replacing the divine gift with something else. Now, synthetic materials or produced or processed food you're also, if it's synthetic, it's completely fake, so to speak. It's, just a, it's a synthetic material. It's a replacement, a type of replacement. But to take something that is divine, we can enhance it. We can maximize its potential. Tap into it. But you don't want to take electricity and say, you know what, I'm going to put my stamp on it. Because there's a purity to it. You want to generate it, you want to channel it, you want to harness it. And that's how we have to look at life. Life is a partnership. The partnership is God gives us the resources. Our job is not to alter the resources. Our job is to use the resources, enhance them, maximize their potential to the fullest, actualize them, and turn them into forces of good, agents of good instruments that change the world for the better. But when somebody takes these things and says, first of all, I own it, it's not yours, not yours, the God's, it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. And not only that, instead of the beauty, the natural beauty, you alter it. You alter it and think that your, the image you just etched in it is what you want. That's what you want to project instead of the natural beauty of your being. Then you're essentially compromising the integrity of the relationship. Think about it in the context of a, an actual human relationship. A healthy human relationship is not, is no, no partner is trying to change the other person. 
That's not a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is each one enhances the other. When you find somebody says, you know what, I'll marry that person, then I'll change them. There's something wrong with that. Yes, we all refine each other. Maybe you want to help them suppress some negative trait and enhance a good trait. But to change somebody, that's who they are. That's the sanctity. The beauty of a relationship is each one recognizes the other's strengths and you complement it and you bring out the best, but not trying to change things. When we start trying to change things and we tamper with its core um, essential originality and its core essential integrity, is the equivalent of someone coming into a magnificent palace and saying, you know what? I don't know who built this palace, but I don't like this room. Let's close it up. Let's close down that window. And the architect comes and says, what are you doing? Say, I didn't see a need for it. I saw it as extra. But you don't understand even why I did it. The Archduke tells Mozart, he thought he was a musical connoisseur, beautiful music for far too many notes. And Mozart purportedly replies, yes, your majesty, but not one more than necessary. King David wondered and probed the mysteries of existence. And he was able to understand the purpose of everything created except the spider. And he says to God, why did you create a spider? What happens? When he's escaping King Saul's wrath, wrath, and the soldiers are closing in on him, and he had nowhere to run, he ran into this cave. But it was only a one way in. They could easily have trapped him there. So God sent a spider which, with that wove a web over the mouth of the cave. So when the soldiers came by, they saw the spider web. They knew no one had passed through. So they went, moved, went on. And King David understood. You know, sometimes I hear people say, you know, if I built a human body, I could have maybe built it a little better. You know, every fiber of the body... Every cell is accounted for. I once gave a talk about it. I said trillions of cells. Trillions. Some say 35 billion, trillion, 40 trillion, 75 trillion, different numbers. I don't know if they've ever counted. I guess it's an estimate. It reminds me of the joke where there's an old Jewish watchman working in the Metropolitan Museum. I'm sorry, the Museum of Natural History. And the, the visitors, tourists come by. And he's standing there, and they're looking at the skeleton of a dinosaur. And they ask him, they say, how old is this dinosaur? She says, 11, um, what do you say, it's two, um, 22 million years old and three months. And three months? How'd you get that exactly? Well, actually, no, let me do it better. 22 million years, three months, and, and one week and two days. How do you know that exactly to the date? He says, because I started working here three, uh, <laughs> two years, three weeks, and two days ago. When I got here, they told me it was 22 million years old. So now it's 22 million, two years, three weeks, and two days. Is that the number I said? You get the idea. So, so you know, we, we, so our understanding of things is based on our own terms. So someone will say, I'm going to make a better picture. You know, the, 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 another joke, the old Jew who translates Shakespeare in Yiddish, and he writes, translated and improved by Yankel Todras. So even a Shakespeare would laugh. 
let alone how God, the God's creation. So we take this world, we take and say, you know what, if I did the body, I would do it a little differently. Every point of the body is calculated, everything by design. So I once gave a talk about it, about the, tr- the cells, the, whether it's tr- the trillions and so on. And someone says, raise their hand and said, one second, the wisdom teeth and the appendix. Till this day, science and doctors do not know its purpose. Now, by now, I heard the appendix, they already figured out that it has some value, prevents certain diseases. Early in the 50s, they used to also say the tonsils. And that's why many of us, including myself, had our tonsils removed by our parents in the 50s, because they, well, 60s, early 60s, late 50s. Then they realized the tonsils were very important, and they did not remove them afterwards anymore. So I said to this fellow, let's say even if you're right, there's no, we don't know the reason. But if you have 75 trillion cells, and you have millions or, or hundreds of other systems and organisms, they're all calculated, and one, two, or three are not yet figured out, which, what's the logic? That it's all a mistake, it's all can be redone. It's all uh, optional, arbitrary. Or if all that is working and then there's one, two, or three, you'd probably say they also have a reason. I just don't know what it is yet. And that's exactly the way we're supposed to look at it. So to go ahead and paint a better picture than the divine picture would be like saying, you know what, I don't like sunsets. I'm going to do something to upset the sunset. In a sense, you know, that's if we had the technology and I'm going to create my own beautiful sunset or my own version. We're partners. The beauty we were given, we're meant to enhance, meant to harness, meant to advance and use toward great purposes, but not to alter and reshape. There are things we reshape because they're made to be reshaped. But when you talk about the human body, it's a beautiful body. Look at a newborn child, like freshly fallen snow, a gift from God. Would you go and tattoo a newborn child? Not just because you have no right to do so, but because there's a beauty there. Why would you go? Why, freshly fallen snow, why would you go and suddenly paint it? But the lesson is deeper because it talks about who owns us and who runs the show and who, who, dis, who defines what your life is about. Is it just every one of us does whatever we want? Or do we realize that life is sacred? And that includes our bodies as well. And our bodies go along for this dignified journey together with the soul. Now, when you think about it, the same is true, not just with physical tattoos, but also emotional, psychic, psychological, emotional, psychic, and all other forms of wounds, scars, and tattoos. We're not allowed to hurt ourselves emotionally. I'm talking now a tattoo that's not a physical one. We're not allowed to hurt others. Now, we all know not hurting, of course, but there's something deeper than that. Because you don't, they don't, life is dignified. Life is sacred. What right do you have to touch it? And even yourself. You're not allowed to hurt yourself. You're not allowed to talk badly about yourself. Or think badly. You're defiling. You're tattooing yourself. So when you think of it that way, it broadens into an entire responsibility and sensitivity that we have for other people's lives, for our own lives. I remember the tragedy, the Columbine killings of students who were considered completely normal, and one day they came with guns and shot and murdered their own friends and then killed themselves. And one of the things that stood out, without going into the details, was 
my view of it, when I analyzed it, was that they didn't value themselves, not just others. Life becomes negligible. You hear, we're one of seven and a half billion people. We're just another form of evolved bacteria. 22, 2 million years, 2 million and 3 years in 2 weeks, or whatever. So then you start losing value to your own life, then of course you're not going to value another person's life. You see killings on television and video games and so on. Is life sacred? So this prohibition about tattoos now extends far deeper about prohibition about recognizing the sanctity of life itself, including the bodies, our own and others. So you see, one verse we can sound so primitive and seemingly so irrelevant to us. Okay, tattoo, I did tattoo, didn't tattoo. Actually touches upon a tremendous insight of how we look at ourselves. Do we respect ourselves as we are? Or do we think we have to change something? And they tell the joke, this woman who was um, a very righteous woman, and God said to her, because you're righteous, I will give you long life. Uh, she got older. She looked in the mirror. And maybe someone insulted her. And she decided, you know what? I need a nose job. Then she needed liposuction. Then she needed uh, some uh, Botox. You name it. And she basically had herself remade. Plastic surgery here, there. So externally, very often it doesn't even work. Or very often it looks weird. But let's say it would look great. So she got away with it. One day she's walking. God forbid a car strikes her and she dies. She comes up to the heaven. Storming the heavenly gates, she said, God, you said you promised me to have long life. And God said, who are you? And she says, I'm that woman, that righteous woman. So he goes, oh, that's you? I didn't recognize you. Because she constantly made herself man-made, not tattoos. But she remade. There's a beauty to life, even when you age. Now, of course, if a person can do something cosmetic, but to be obsessed with it, we don't worship the body. We worship the soul and the divine soul. And we worship the body as a divine entity, not because it's my body and the way on my terms that I want to make it look better. Don't change things. You're beautiful as you are. And that's also a message in self-value. If you think you have to change your physical appearance to please somebody else, then you're basically disrespecting yourself. You're tattooing yourself. You're wounding yourself. You're scarring yourself. Now, of course, I draw the line, so I want to say, what happens if a person has a particular defect, a birth defect? So, again, we're not talking about it when it comes to something that, first of all, that's life-threatening or something that... That, is, uh, that can make your life easier if a person has a certain handicap and there's a surgery or something that can be done to make their life easier. It's a different story. Well, you could say God created you that way. Yes, God created, but he wants you to, if you can, repair, just like God forbid, if you break an arm or a leg, you do what you can to, you don't just accept it. You do what you can to correct it. The same thing as natural defects or other things you can improve. I wear eyeglasses. My eyes are nearsighted, farsighted. So we do have things that help Enhance, as I said. And sometimes, yes, we replace. If a person is missing a diseased kidney, even uh, other parts of the body. But that, again, is because of a problem or because it's going to make you function better.
But cosmetically, just to say because you like this more beautiful, that has a different story. And especially if it's etched in the skin, we're not talking about something that is more cosmetic or more temporary. But it's about self-respect is the bigger message. Because yes, if you need to constantly look, look a certain way, and you can't be just who you are, like you know that joke where they say the guy goes on a date, uh, this uh, Chinaman with an American, and he says these Americans, I'll tell you what they say, they go on a date, they talk to you, they tell you about all the cosmetic surgery they had, and so on. And then they say, but I want you to get to know the real me. The real you. The real you is who you are. And honor yourself. Respect yourself. That's a different way of phrasing. Don't tattoo. Don't etch. Don't scar. Don't try to alter. Because of your own reasons. Or again, to please somebody or to please yourself. Or because you think you'd look better or not better in a certain way. Make a statement. You're beautiful as you are. But now comes the other end, which leads me back to the story that I told. What happens if we were wounded and we were scarred and something was etched into our psyches, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Not due to our own choice. Someone hurt us and the wound is deep. Or you may have hurt yourself. You may have tattooed yourself. Again, physically or figuratively. But you didn't know better. You didn't know that your life is sacred. You didn't know your soul and body are sacred. So we don't say, oh, you, now you altered yourself, too bad. No. Because it was not your choice, because it was imposed upon you, you actually earn a ticket to another dimension, to another place. And the God that created you and said, here was a beautiful child. And someone defiled this child. Someone violated this person. In whatever form again. I myself, God says, will intervene and protect the child. And even if the child has wounds and scars and tattoos, I can transcend it all. Initially, I gave that beauty to the child, but the, the beauty was taken away not by the child's choice. So that doesn't cause, why should the child suffer because of that? So I will give it new beauty. I will see the beauty even in its tattoo. I will see the beauty even in its wound. And I will help you heal as much as you can and the fullest sense of the word. So when that fellow went into the water with the tattoos, in many ways, that water was, even, was more sanctified by this tattooed body than by a regular clean body. Because that tattoos were not his fault. Why would he be? Why would he be to blame? And there's a beauty that says God says, "Look, even someone who has a scar and a wound can serve me, and connects with me. That to me is more valuable than someone that did not go through difficulties, because no one has a perfect offering, as our good friend Leonard Cohen says. There are cracks in everything, but that's how the light gets in." And I don't know if he was aware of this. I was friendly with him. We never spoke about this point, but if you read the Kabbalistic teachings, and it says when the, the container shattered in the world of Toyo, in the chaotic world, they shattered. But shattered, man, they didn't shatter and everything disappeared and ended. 
the containers shattered and the light within them also scattered. So there's light everywhere. It's just the light is no longer contained in a container. Think of a container packed with energy, nuclear energy, atomic energy, light, and the container shatters. The light dissipates, but doesn't disappear. And when you rebuild the container, the light, you can regain the light. A good example for it would be, take a book, a page in a book or book, a beautiful narrative, a beautiful story. And then someone comes and rips up the book and scatters its pages and the pieces all over the earth, all over the universe, all over the cosmos. And it's your job to go and reconnect the pieces of the narrative. And as you do, two pieces come together like a jigsaw puzzle, the light returns. The message that those pieces conveyed returns. And they never really disappeared, they just got broken apart. So when we are born, we're like an intact container with a light within, the soul within. When we experience some form of scar or wound or violation or abuse and our bodies are hurt and our psyches are in turn hurt and our souls are somewhat impacted, what happens is something's a crack, like a wound, a scar. A tattoo creates a scar, a split. Here your skin is this pure skin, in a way, transparent skin, allows light. You can see through the skin, and you've darkened it. You've, with needles, have etched, someone etched and caused a scar or a wound within it. And not at your fault, as we were discussing. So now this, this body is covered up with scars and wounds and tattoos. So in a way, the container has been somewhat compromised. But because it wasn't your fault, God says, I will give the power to shine a light even through this broken containers and give you the power to rebuild them, to reconnect the pieces. And the light will emerge, and this time even greater because it's coming through pain and sadness and loss. The light that comes from the shattered containers is greater than the light that was there in the first place. Because besides the fact that the effort and the appreciation we have once it was scattered and once it was shattered and scattered and you rebuild it together, there's the great joy that comes with that. But there's actually a deeper light that comes out of darkness. And that's the light that comes through the one's through the pain that we deal with in our lives. That's why you find a, such a tremendously different qualitative refinement in people who have suffered when they get through it. There's just another element of inner peace, been through the fire. There's something about them that's more refined than a person who's never suffered. So this isn't a ode or in any way a um, condoning of suffering. It's not endorsing suffering, but rather appreciating that even after there's a violation, after there's a scar, after there's a wound, after there's a tattoo, hope is not lost. Now, even if it was done intentionally, and you knew better, even then we have the concept of tshuva, of return. But especially if it was done in a way that was not up to you, or you didn't know better, so no matter what, we always have hope. There's no such thing as broken, damaged goods. As a tattoo, as a wound or a scar, 
that cannot be overcome. It's just the way how we get back to it. The way we get back to a healthier place, to a more powerful place. Now, in many instances, you may need bypass. You need to bypass and find an alternative because, God forbid, sometimes something is done, you can't reverse it, technically. But that doesn't mean new channels can be created, like after a stroke, sometimes the neurons and the neurons, the neurological paths, new channels are forged, just like roots in a tree. If there's a block, the roots will go around the block and they'll grow until they find the water that they're seeking. And sometimes you can actually reverse it and transform it and transform the experience and teach others that which you've learned through your scars, that which you've learned through your pain, and inspire others and strengthen others and say there is a way through. There's a way out. And you can grow through it. You have to just be persevere. See it through. Don't give up. So the Kabbalah of tattoos is in its root could be the shattering of the containers and even higher than that, the Simtsum Arishan, the great concealment, which itself was also a crack. At least on a conscious level, at least from our perspective. That a divine presence, a purity, a seamless energy was concealed and we don't see it flowing. Though it's flowing, but it's bl- it's bl- we're blinded to it. Our eyes are, we cannot see. So from our perspective, something has, there's a schism. There's a dissonance, a cosmic dissonance. And our job is to bridge and repair the schism. Repair the rift, the rupture, and create bridges and interfaces until the point that we can repair. That's called tikkun. Repair of what? Of tayu. We repair tikkun olam, we repair the broken shards. And each of us does this in our lives. Each of us is allocated, as Kabbalists put it, with a certain amount of sparks in our lives. The sparks are hidden everywhere in your life. Your whole life narrative is filled with sparks. From the food you eat to where you sleep, where you live, where you work, where you vacation, where you travel. Every encounter, random encounters, you commute, wherever you go, these are the sparks waiting. As I said, they're the torn pages, the torn letters, waiting for you to come and reassemble them, reconstruct them and reconnect them and reveal the narrative of your life. And what is the narrative? That all these little sparks connect by you doing something with them, with your unique skills and unique talents, in bringing light to the world, bringing virtue and kindness. And when you do that, even when you make a blessing on the food and you eat the right thing and you use the strength to help people instead of self-indulging or hurting someone, you've connected. You've reversed the tattoo, you've reversed the cut, the etch, the etching cut, the scar, the wound, the split. You made one out of it. And then when you use that strength and you connect it to other things in your life and you find that underlying hub, your mission that connects all the details of your life, as I talk about very often, that if you made a list of everything you did today or tomorrow, you'll come up with around 150 items from the moment you wake up. Every detail. Your regimen, exercising, showering, getting dressed, breakfast, coffee break, tea break, commuting, work. Important meetings, not such important meetings. Entertainment. Whatever it is, you'll find a whole bunch of different details. But they're fragmented. Try to find a thread that connects them. 
he'll find you won't be able to find a, what connect tying your shoelaces or drinking coffee in the morning to some meeting you have in the afternoon or to some other event. You may have a few meaningful things. In my chapter on Toward a Meaningful Life, on a day of, a day in the, a day of life, I speak about this. But when you find your underlying spiritual mission, then you realize everything from tying a shoelace to a cup of coffee to a meeting to the most important, from the smallest to the most important, are threads, are spokes connected by a hub called your mission statement. How you make a divine home in your life. How you connect the broken parts, the cracks, even the scars. You get through them and connect them and the light returns. And this time an even more intense light because it's coming after the break. God shall bless every one of us. That we should have the least amount of tattoos and scars and wounds of all levels. Those that we have from the past, don't be perturbed. Don't get discouraged. They can all be transcended. And they can actually be turned into great forces of life, of light. Because darkness can bring a light that light itself cannot bring. For more resources and for more on this, please visit our website, MeaningfulLife.com, www.MeaningfulLife.com. Please share your thoughts, your questions. We're on Facebook, on social media. Connect with us in every way. Share with others. We'd love to hear from you. For us, we see ourselves as part of the connecting parts, connectors, to connect the shards of our journey, our trajectory, and yours. And when we intersect, it creates a far greater synergy. And of course, as always, we really depend on you. These programs are free. For your financial support, go to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship to sponsor or dedicate a class, a program in honor or in memory of a loved one. And also, please subscribe to our free offerings. We have a bunch of them, including this Wednesday night program which can be heard and listened to and downloaded podcast anytime, and many other programs. Just go to MeaningfulLife.com and you'll see the options. It's a great honor, as always. May we have a blessed week. May you have a blessed week. And until next Wednesday, everyone be well. Thank you so much.